the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about anything going on in your life. All we need you to do is to provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. You can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And if you are driving in your car on this Tuesday afternoon, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the call now button banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, there's not a lot going on. I'm told it's National Pancake Day, and I'm a pancake freak, so I love it. Um, Other than that, we don't have anything going on at all. Um, So let me get to the first question right away. Christopher asks the question, is the doctrine of inerrancy essential for salvation? Christopher, I forgot one thing, so I'll answer your question in just one second. It's also our oldest son's birthday today. He is 49 years of age today. And Ronnie, I'm sure you're not listening in Southern California, but just in case, we love you. Our life was enriched immeasurably 49 years ago, and we'll be talking to you a little bit later. Okay, let's get to Christopher's question. Is the doctrine of inerrancy essential for salvation? Christopher, this is a little bit of a complicated question to answer because in order to get saved, um, you, you certainly, I, I don't think anybody, when they get saved, understands the doctrine of inerrancy. It's simply that the Bible is inerrant. It's the Word of God. It is without error, without contradiction, uh, infallible. Um, and, and nobody really understands that until after they've come to Christ and done the checking for themselves. So, no, it's not an essential to get saved. Jesus is the only essential. Jesus reaches out, his arms are stretched out to you, and all you have to do is respond. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you're powerless to do anything about your sin apart from Christ. And then throw your life into his hands. Jesus, you take over. He proved he was God. They killed him. He didn't stay dead. He's alive. And that's what's essential for salvation, just believing in the real Jesus. Not just Jesus, but the real Jesus of the Bible. Now, having said that, Christopher, uh, I think inerrancy and accepting the doctrine of inerrancy is essential for any fruit at all in your life. I don't think there's any fruit that comes from the life of a a man or a woman who says they are a Christian, but who does not believe that the Bible is the Word of God. So I think that's the distinction I would make. Um, You know, we we run into, especially in these last days, 
Uh, we're running into so many people now who've been in church all their lives and they're deconstructing their faith and they're 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 trying to disassociate their their relationship with God from the Word of God, and you know it's just not possible to do that. And what they end up doing is believing really crazy, silly things, and they keep changing God into their image instead of understanding that the Bible tells us who he really is and allows the Holy Spirit to continue to change us in his image rather than the other way around. So, Christopher, it is an essential for any fruit at all in your life. And I don't think there's any exception. I mean, there's people that do good things, but but in terms of good fruit, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Those are the, the qualities that ought to characterize all of our lives. And if if you're not a believer in the Word of God, you're simply not going to be able to demonstrate those things. So, Christopher, that's a really great question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from Patricia. She asks, when a child is turned away from God and is living a sinful lifestyle, is it ever okay to cut off communication with them? Um, Patricia, every situation is different. So when you ask, is it ever okay to cut off communication? I think there's times when you've got to stop talking because they've stopped listening. But but we should never cut off communication. The, the lines of communication need always to remain open. Remember, our goal is reconciliation. Our goal is being sure that our our children, as they grow, come to know the real Jesus. And, of uh, of course, we're never relieved of the responsibility of being like Jesus and being a reflection of who he is. Now, when a child turns away and they refuse to repent of their sin and they won't listen to you anymore, then I think the, the, the lines of communication are closed. But you always want to leave them open in the sense that if you ever want to get right with God, you know where I, I am. He's the answer. I know it. And in your heart, you know it. So I'll always be here. But I don't think, Patricia, that it's a good thing to do. I don't think it's a, a, a productive thing to go chasing them. I certainly don't think it's productive to keep harping after them. Um, it's just something we got to let the Holy Spirit do his work. We can bathe our kids in prayer. But when they have made a decision, an adult decision to live in sin, I think that's one of the things that we've got to say, okay, my hands are off the wheel here. doesn't mean I don't love you. It doesn't mean you're not always welcome in my home. But remember, this home belongs to Jesus. And that's the terms upon which you can return. So I think that's keeping the door open, Patricia. Sorry for your pain. Children are causing a lot of people I love a lot of pain these days. Here is a question from Robert. He says, how can I get rid of the legalistic thinking from my early church background? I know I'm free, but the thoughts about never measuring up won't stop. Robert, your question is the reason that whenever I talk about legalism, I I let people know that I hate legalism inside the church more than almost anything else. I can't tell you how many lives I've seen devastated by legalism, how much joy completely choked out, stolen from people because of legalism. Because the truth is, we'll never measure up. And I think if I were you, Robert, that's how I would deal with the thoughts about never measuring up. I would say, you know what? It's because I can't measure up. But thank God, Jesus, you measured up for me. And because you did, then I don't have to measure up to anybody. I'm already perfect in your eyes. And then you can pray, Lord, help me to be more like you tomorrow than I was today. But Robert, um, you know, we really struggle with some things. False doctrine is one of them. I've dealt with so many people who were raised in in, uh, health and wealth churches, prosperity churches, or just really bad doctrinal churches. And in this other case, legalistic churches. And it is so hard. It is so hard for them to have a, a picture of Jesus that is is joyful and so you just have to you got to this is an intellectual decision you got to make since i could never measure up jesus measured up for me and then simply decide i've accepted the gift 
And when the enemy, who is going to keep pushing those legalistic buttons, he's going to keep repeating the same lies over and over and over. When when the enemy lies to you about not measuring up, then give him a doctrine lesson. Of course I don't measure up. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we do that continually. There is no one good, no one righteous, not even one. So you say to the enemy, okay, I, of course I don't measure up. But I stand on the shoulders of the one who measured up for me. And his name is Jesus. And because of his resurrection from the dead, we know that he can do it. So, Robert, this is more an intellectual decision that you need to make based on what the word of God says. Not based on your feelings, not based on the thoughts that come across your mind. Remember, the thoughts are coming from an outside agency. Now, uh, just a word. If you're going to a legalistic church or if you are somebody who's listening who um, uh, is a pastor in a legalistic church, this is the kind of pain that you cause. Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom we've been set free. And what we've got to remember is that God wants us to enjoy our freedom. He wants our relationship to be light-hearted. He wants it to be fun. He wants it to be filled with joy. And the only way we can do that is to um, just revel in the freedom that Christ has bought. It's not about what we're doing. It's about what he's already done. The devil doesn't want you, Robert, to hear that message. So your decision is, are you going to believe what the Bible says? We're going to believe what a bad church taught you. I realize old habits are difficult to kick. But this is one where the joy of the Lord being manifest through you, it depends on you getting rid of all of those ugly things that you were taught at the beginning. So remember, the next time the devil lies, Robert, of course I don't measure up. It's impossible to measure up. Hope that helps. Thank you, Robert. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Dawn. She says, what should Christians think about people um, intent on social justice? I'm not sure intent. I guess um, their focus is on social justice. Um, I, th- I think what... Christians should think about is that justice doesn't need an adjective. We serve a just God. He is holy and just, and he alone sets the standard for justice. Now, here's the, 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 the I, I think, the critical thing to think about. A, a Christian who is focused on social justice is ignoring the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is Christ in us, working through us, that does good things for people. It's not that we can say, well, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to read the Bible. I just want to do good things for people. We can't do those things on our own. So here's what Christians should think about social justice. Replace it with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the justice of grace, which means God's unmerited favor to the infinitely ill-deserving is given to us for free because Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again. So People who are focused on social justice, Don, are missing the best part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me also say this. Churches and Christians who are being obedient to the Lord are going to have more opportunities to do good things for the people around them than anything else. You know, I can't solve the problem with the trafficking of literally tens of thousands of children all over the world. I can't do anything about that. I can't personally do anything about prejudice and hatred. I personally can't do anything at all about COVID, the pandemic. I can't do anything personally about the war in Ukraine. Not at all. And by the way, I heard somebody say to me today, you know, we're, we're not there and we often will refer to Ukraine as the Ukraine and the author said, no, that, that reduces the, the country to 
a spot, a place geographically. So leave off the the. And remember, it's just Ukraine, and that helps us to focus on the people there, and our prayers should be for the people there. But I can't do anything about any of that, Don. Here's what I can do. I can carry the message of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead with me everywhere I go. And then I can trust God. I think one of the problems with Christians, who use your word, who intend on social justice, is they don't know Jesus. They don't trust him at all. They're trying to affect change instead of understanding that no real change can occur until the Spirit of God changes the hearts of men and women. So I think Christians who are intent, um, professing Christians who are intent on pursuing a social justice agenda, they simply don't get it at all. Jesus told us, this world is not our kingdom. And while he will use us to do wonderful things, we do them in his name and for his glory. And that's just a concept that we who believe that God helps those who help themselves is in the Bible. It's just one of the things that we really can't do a whole lot about. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to a Brother Pope on line one from San Antonio. Brother, how are you? Gloria, <laughs> Good to hear from you. The one who answers the voice, what? Good, Pastor. I've, 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 I've been enjoying your your messages and, and the things that you impart to everyone. And uh, that, that, that's what's lacking, Pastor, is, is that love, the love for one another. The love for God and the love for one another. Because if that's, there was love, Jesus said, we wouldn't have all these yep. problems. <laughs> that's right. G- Jesus said that pretty much summed up the whole of the law. The love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Hold and love your brother as yourself. The greatest two commandments. There it is. It's simple. Yep. We, complicate, we complicate everything. Uh, if we would just it? focus on... But it's written also, Pastor, that love is going to wax cold. And it's yep. biblical. And that we're seeing it. No yes. love, no mercy, no grace, no compassion. And, and, and it's because we've drawn away from God the whole nation. Not the whole nation, but the great majority of the nation. We have drawn away from from the basic things. Love God and love your neighbor. And your neighbor means any anybody from all nations, from all colors and creeds. Because that's that's where the the people of God God are from all nations and colors and creeds and tongues. And it would do if it would just focus. I can have all faith to move mountains, but if I don't have love, nothing. I am nothing. I can just speak make all noise. tongues. Yeah. yeah, I can speak all tongues and cast out demons. And the Lord said, depart from me. We focus, and it's so simple. If, if I don't have love, Lord, put heart so that I may love those oh. that insult me. And and, and 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 cast me cast me away. You know, let me love that person with your love. That's all we need to pray for. Lord, your Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love. Yep. Horacio, the thank you. Thank you very, very much. Appreciate it, dear brother. Um you, you know, Horatio is talking about love, and of course, that's what we're commanded to do. Our God is love, and we're supposed to be a reflection of Him. But remember, and I break this down to the most simple element of all you can't love unless you're with the God of love. Just be with Jesus, and His love is going to pour out through you. If you're doing things of your own, if you're on your own agenda, like the question a moment ago about social justice, people with social justice agenda, if you're doing your own thing, then then love is not going to be the motive. No matter what you want to say, love is not going to be the motive. And what we've got to do is decide, Jesus, put people in my path today that I can share the love of God with. And he'll do amazing things. He'll do amazing things. Horatio, you're smarter than people understand. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. 
Here's a question from Eli. He says, can you explain the foreknowledge of God? I'm confused because it seems like God makes everything happen. Eli, that's the problem. One of the things that we, we, we want a God who knows everything. He knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. But he doesn't cause everything. And I think sometimes our logic is short-circuited because, well, that just makes sense. Well, if God knows the future, I can't do anything to change the future. Of course you can. You can change your future every minute of every day simply by deciding, I'm going to follow Jesus. But God doesn't cause those things. So God knows those who are going to be his. He knows those who are going to be saved. And so he makes a choice. Now that God doesn't cause people to get saved, we've got to make that choice of our own free will. Same thing is happening with the events of the world that we live in. This last couple of years has been terrible. God knew that COVID was going to hit, the pandemic was going to cause um, um, so many people to lose their lives, but God didn't cause it. But he knew it was going to happen. Now let me give you just sort of a, um, a logical connection here, Eli. If God knows stuff is going to happen, that we don't know anything about, doesn't it make sense for us to seek the will of God and the heart of God every minute of every day for our future? You know, when I get up tomorrow morning, I don't know what's going to happen. I have an idea of what my plan is, but I don't know what's going to happen. But I can immediately come into the presence of the one who does know everything. And while he's not going to tell me everything that's going to happen, Eli, He's going to prepare me for everything that's going to happen. I think one of the things that probably frustrates our God more than almost anything is that he's trying to prepare us for stuff that he knows is going to happen, and we won't listen. We've got our own agenda. We've got our own plans. And God simply says, why don't you check in with me? You know, even Jesus, God in human flesh, said that morning by morning, he goes in the presence of his father who gives him the, 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 the tongue of the learned or the instructed. Morning by morning. Jesus didn't get up and wait till noon. He didn't wait uh, get up and wait until evening to find out what God wanted. He saw him in the morning. And I can almost envision it's different with Jesus. He was given the spirit without measure, but I can almost envision... God sending him sort of a, a, a detailed plan of the day. When he went to the woman at the well in Samaria, Jews didn't like Samaritans, Samaritans hated Jews. And yet Jesus told his disciples, I must needs go through Samaria. They didn't want to. They were angry. Jews would go out of the way just not to step a foot on Samaritan soil. Yet Jesus said, I must needs go through Samaria. He had a divine appointment. And imagine every day in the morning as he would seek the will of his father. He'd find out what those plans were. And he was prepared for everyone. Even when Jesus was going to go to the cross and suffer so horribly. He was given instructions sent by his father through Elijah and Moses. On the Mount of Transfiguration, they told him all the things that were going to happen to him. Jesus was never caught off guard. And part of the reason so many of us, Eli, are caught off guard is because we're not seeking the counsel of God. I wish God's foreknowledge would provide so none of us would have to go through any bad stuff, but what he does, knowing what's going to happen, is he provides the means of preparing us for anything and everything that we know is going to happen that day. So remember, God's foreknowledge and God's choice is not causative. Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him, but he didn't cause Judas to betray him and in fact reached out to Judas repeatedly even though he knew what Judas' response was going to be, Judas was given every opportunity to repent right up to the end, the time that he left the upper room. So, Eli, that's as complete an explanation as I can possibly give. Michael says, why does God allow people who he knows are going to hell to keep being created? Michael, 
um, let's think about this one logically as well. God doesn't stop babies from being born. You know, we humans kill 65 million babies since 1973. That's just this country, far more worldwide. And nobody says, well, why why didn't we stop them from living? Or why did we stop them from living? Yet God creates humans. And and by the way, where humans are created through the process of creation, not, not created directly by God other than Adam and Eve. So God creates people for his glory. Now, I want to think about, I want you to think about it this way, too. A lot of unsaved people who are going to spend eternity in hell have contributed a lot of really wonderful stuff to this world. All kinds of advancements. So it's not God, other than if he would say, I'm going to stop people from being born. And of course... That wouldn't be fair. The sun shines on the just and the unjust. Michael, hope that helps a little bit. we got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program on this Tuesday afternoon. I understand it's really nice and starting to warm up outside, so praise the Lord for that. Here is an anonymous question that just came in from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, I would like to get your advice. My parents are professing Christians, but are not going to church or doing anything for the Lord. I don't believe that we can lose our salvation. My husband thinks we should not be hanging out with them since their lives are not evident of Christ. It is so difficult to believe him since they're such loving people and have been so helpful. But if they are not living for the Lord, he thinks we should not be around them. I love them so much. This topic has caused a lot of conflict. I do think they're living in sin since they don't go to church or anything else for God. What should I do? You know, uh, let, let me, a couple of things. And, and I, I, I hope your husband is listening as well. Um, not going to church is not a sin. It's horribly unhealthy. Certainly, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And if you really love Jesus, you want to be where he is. And and he loves to gather with the church. Um, And it's not sin. uh, It's spiritual laziness. But it's not sin not to do anything for the Lord. Um, I think there's a really, a real disconnect people that call Jesus Lord and don't do what he says. And I think that's probably what's bothering your husband. However, not to hang out with them is the last thing you should be doing. What you should be doing is spending as much time with them as you can so that they can see the difference in their lives and yours. Now, if they are living in sin, and I want this to be clear, I mean, if you go to their house and they're drinking and they're getting drunk or they're using horrible language or taking God's name in vain or they're watching stuff on television that you don't want you or your kids to be around, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, it's completely appropriate to say, look, when you're living the way you're living, our family, our family's not going to be here um, because we, we, we can't bring Jesus there. But if they're just nice people, and there are a lot of nice people, and you're right, you can't lose your salvation, but um, I would ask them in the conversation. you you got to keep the communication lines open. I would ask them, Mom, Dad, you say you're Christians, but you, you're not interested in church, and you're certainly not serving the Lord. What makes you think that, we, that, you're, that you're Christians? You're going to get answers to everything. Well, I was raised in church or I answered an altar call or I was baptized. 
But what you need to, to do is say, none of that stuff makes you Christian. What makes you Christian is a change of heart. But if they're just good people and they're not living in open, blatant sin, then you and your husband need to realize together that they are the objects of your ministry, not the enemies of your ministry. And those are the people that we need to be around. So avoiding them is just, just if they're living in darkness, it's just making it darker. And your job is to bring light into their homes. And you do that by your love for God and your love for them. You know, Jesus chased me, Anonymous. He chased me for years and years and years while Paula was praying for me. Had he ever given up on me? Or if he told Paula, well, you know your husband's a jerk, he's not living for Christ, um, um, then, then if you, she could have given up. But what we need to remember is that this is the way the world is. And the people who are not living for Christ, they're the ones that we should be focusing our energy and our time on. Again, I want to make the distinction between living in sin, doing bad things. Um, is it is it good that they don't go to church? No, it's not good that they go to, don't go to church. But I think it reveals their true heart. So when you say that your parents are such loving people and they've been helpful, um, I would ask them. I mean, this is a conversation that, you, that every child wants to have, every Christian child wants to have with their parents. I want to know you're going to heaven. Why do you think you're a Christian when you have no use for God, you have no use for his church, you're not serving him. So it's a real opportunity to share the gospel with them. But the conflict, I'm assuming, is between you and your husband. He doesn't want to go. Man, he needs to be there. He needs to be a light for them. Um, you know, sometimes we get so aggressive or so opinionated that we keep the door shut on people instead of opening that door. They need to see Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so you and your husband need to do that, remembering that they are the targets of your ministry. Uh, not to be around them. is just to shut the light out from around them. So that's, that's what I think uh, you and your husband ought to do. And whenever there's conflict, remember Jesus has the answer. So here's, you and your husband need to sit down. I'm sure, I hope that you're um, in the Word together. Um, talk about these things. If my husband, or if your husband says, no, we're not going to be around them because they're not living for the Lord, um, I'll bet I could sit down with your husband and find some things he's not doing that the Lord wants him to do. And this is just one example. He's not witnessing to the people that need to be witnessed to. He's not letting his light shine. So there's your solicited answer. And I use that term solicited because typically I don't give advice when it's not asked for. So it's time for you and your husband to sit down and have a conversation about what Jesus would have you guys do. Hayden says, Pastor Ron, should most of our worship go to the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit? Um, Hayden, yes, <laughs> to all of them. Uh, they're all equal. Um, they're all completely God, all worthy of and deserving worship. Um, and our job is to worship them. So, yes, we worship them all. We do a song. Um, I don't know the name of it. It's um, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. It's one God. So your worship and also your prayers should go to all three persons of the Godhead. So, by worship, I, I, I'm assuming that you're talking about music or just singing praise to the Lord. But, but remember, everything that we do with Jesus is praise. A sacrifice of praise. And so what we do, Hayden, is we hang out with Jesus. And when you hang out with him, you won't help but to praise him. So Jesus is sort of the mediator. Not sort of. He is the mediator. And Jesus came to, to reveal the Father. 
Um, we can't see the Father. We can't know the Father. He lives in unapproachable light until Jesus shows us the way. And then after, of course, that happened, the Holy Spirit has come to testify of Jesus. So I spend most of my time talking to and praising Jesus, but there's no jealousy. The Father's not jealous. The Holy Spirit's not jealous. But our worship goes to um, our God, our Trinitarian God. Jack asks the question, should parents force their kids to read the Bible or wait until they are interested? Jack, you probably make your children do their homework and they don't want to do that, but you do it because it's best for them. So of course you should force their kid, your kids to read the Bible. Of course, you know, we have a, a free school here, Jack, and our kids here get more Bible, and, and we got a bunch of kids here at this school that aren't saved. You know, they, they, they need to develop their own relationship with Jesus, but they are forced to sit in chapel. They're forced to sit in Bible class. Um, they're forced to, to, to participate in, in uh, all the discussions that we have here. Of course, you should force your kids to read the Bible. Not only that, Jack, but you should be reading the Bible with them and speaking to them with regards to um, um, what they're reading. Ask them questions. Uh, give them little pop quizzes. But let the Holy Spirit, working through, your, through His Word, let the Holy Spirit open their hearts. And um, uh, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, uh, God will open your hearts. And there'll always be that line of communication open. But of course, Jack, you should force your children to read it. I grew up with a uh, a friend in my neighborhood. Now, this a 100 years ago. His name was Jerry Brown. And he was the only Jew that I knew. The only Jew that I knew. And we'd be out playing, and he was a fun guy. We'd be out playing ball and doing all kinds of stuff. And, and at a certain time every day, boy, everything stopped for him. I'd say, well, well, what are you going home for? Well, I've got to go study Hebrew. His parents were making him do it. And we thought that was the meanest thing ever. Well, his parents were doing that for a language. How much more should we insist that our children are in the Bible? I know that's not a popular sentiment in the world that we live in. But remember, you're not trying to win a popularity contest. You're trying to be a father who demonstrates how much he loves them. So yes, 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 make them read the Bible. And make sure they're not just going through the motions. Talk to them about it. That's what family devotions are for. So the answer is yes. Let's go to Greg in Bulverde on line one. Greg, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Greg, are you there? Did we lose you, Greg? Nope. Can oh, you hear me? Greg, are you there? Hello. I can hear you now. Can you got me? Yes, I can hear you now. Okay. I, um, listen, I've wanted to, you know, had this conversation with uh, you know, Christian friends over the years, and sometimes they come up with that, oh, you can't, you, know, you can't judge, you can't judge, you know, someone's, uh, Intentions or whatever the case is, and you got the scripture that says, "Don't judge, that should be judged." You know, take the plank out of your eye before you try to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And then Jesus says, "You'll know that they are me by the fruit." So, in a sense, not that we're judging people, but we can can we kind of tell where a person is at that stage of life, or kind of question their salvation? If there is no fruit, yeah. In fact, in fact, uh, Greg, we're, we're supposed to. You know, when when uh, you, you you made the comment, I like the way you put it. We're judging their intentions. We can't judge anybody's intentions, but we can accurately judge their behavior, their actions, based on the Word of God. And if somebody, for an example, is living a homosexual lifestyle. Uh, your Bible says 
uh, two times in, in the New Testament, not the Old Testament, the New Testament, that people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So you can say that lifestyle is going to condemn you to an eternity in hell, and I love you too much not to say anything about it. That's not judging their heart. That's just judging their actions. The same thing would be true of somebody who lies all the time. You'd say, but you're, you're not telling the truth. And the Bible says people who lie continuously will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me get a little more specific, something that we, we're too uh, accepting of. People that get angry all the time, lose their temper. Uh, people who live like that, the Bible says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's our responsibility as loving Christians, it's our responsibility to call them on that. And if they pull the, well, don't judge lest you be judged, the Bible says, that demonstrates two things. One, it demonstrates that they know what they're doing, the way they're living is sin. That's just a defensive reaction. The second thing it demonstrates is that they really don't know anything at all about the God they claim to know. And so that justifies asking the question, what makes you think you're a Christian? And usually it's going to be something like, well, I believe Jesus died. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe he died for the sins. Well, Mormons believe that. They're not saved. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that. They're not saved. So you have every, I I was going to say right, but let me be stronger. We have an obligation, especially for people who profess to be Christians. We have an obligation to call them on their behavior. Not in a harsh, judgmental, or unloving way, but in a way that says, look, you're my friend, I care about you. And people who live like you're living, the Bible says, won't inherit the kingdom of God. The truth is, they don't care what the Bible says, Greg. So our response is, I love you, and we gotta be, we, we got to be prepared to be called unloving. we got to be prepared to be called bigots or harsh or judgmental. It's okay. God knows your heart. And we got to be okay with that. And unfortunately, the world that we live in, um, what they want to do is sin with impunity. And we know that happens in the world. But when people say they're Christians, we have to call them on it. We absolutely have to call them on it. And those people that God has put in your life, the people that you're praying for, um, if you're unwilling to confront them with their behavior that demonstrates they're not who they said they are. Let me tell you a very quick story, Greg. Uh, Paul and I moved into a new home a year ago or so, and um, uh, the neighbors next door are really nice people, and they were really um, uh, uh, welcoming, and and uh, um, I told them what I did, well, and the, the, the man said, well, I'm a Christian too, and uh, the, 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 the woman made no such claim. Um, so I'd see the man when I'm out running or walking in the streets, uh, I'd see him, and we we got kind of friendly, and would talk about things. And uh, it became clear in the conversation that he was living with a woman he wasn't married to. And this was the guy who said, the Bible's the best book in the world ever. And talk about it, I'm a Christian, I'm proud of being a Christian. And he said that in conversation. So one day, I just had to I tell him, uh, he'd asked me some personal questions, so I, I kind of approached him with, well, you, you've asked me some personal questions. Let me ask you one. You're a Christian. Yes, I am. And you were telling me the other day that you love the Bible. It's the best book ever. And I said, and yet it appears to me that you're living with a woman you're not married to. He said, well, I am. But don't judge me. And I said, I'm not judging you. It's just that if you like the Bible, the Bible says that people who live like you're living won't inherit the kingdom of God. Um, He hasn't said a word to me since. And they avoid me. They actually, if we come out, they go the other direction. Uh, They're they're absolutely convinced. I'm a judgmental jerk. And you know what? I got to be okay with that. Because the Lord would not let me leave him alone. And now he's accountable. So, yeah, Greg, we are supposed to do that. And it's never fun. Um, most of the time, it meets, gets met with a hostile response. And it's tough. 
But if you really love people, you've got to tell them the truth. Thank you for the question, Greg. I appreciate it very, very much. 340-9585 for your questions. Here's a question from Marvin. He says, what is the role of the women in church? Um, Marvin, this isn't just our church, every church. The role of the women is exactly the same as the role for men. With one exception, they can't be in leadership. They can't be in the role of a pastor. So women have exactly the same role. Full and complete membership. As men do. God gives them gifts. They can teach. just can't be a pastor. They're not to be leaders in the church. For some reason, God has reserved that role for men. We have to remember that it's his church, so he gets to make the rules. And if we claim that he is our Lord, we've got to follow his rules. It's that simple. We don't have the right to to improvise. So um, your, your question, women can do anything and everything in the church. Tomorrow night, I'm, I'm guessing now, I don't know this for sure, but um, the, the uh, lady who leads worship, lady who leads worship, uh, we'll be be opening tomorrow night for for our worship set, uh, and there'll be another lady playing keyboard with her, and and then a son who usually will play the box and sing or play guitar. Um, so w- there are times when we have women worship leaders on the stage. Women are involved in prayer. Women can speak. Uh, the Lord can speak through women. Uh, he'll give them words of prophecy, and I don't mean that makes them prophets, but give them the gift of prophecy. Um, um, as I said, women can are great teachers. If they're given the gift of teaching, they're to utilize it. They're just not to teach from a position of pastor. I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man in the church. It doesn't get any clearer than that. But other than that, women can do exactly the same thing using the gifts that God has given them in exactly the same way that men do in the church. So, Marvin, if you need anything more specific than that, um, you'll have to write back and ask again. George says, My wife struggles with the rapture because she wants to see our kids grow up, get married, etc. How can I help her in her thinking? George, I think the first thing you need to realize, these are normal desires. Um, we want to see our kids and our grandkids grow up. We want to see them married. We want to see them faithfully serving the Lord. We want to see all those things. Those are not at all unnatural desires. What we have to do through teaching and through careful counseling is let them know that the very best thing that could happen for those kids is that Jesus would come for his church. Make sure the kids are saved. Make sure that they're saved so they go in the rapture too. You know, I I had this question that was asked by uh, somebody because they wanted to see, uh, her specific thing was, well, I want to see my daughter get married. I want to see her have children. I said, would it really be a terrible thing if the only man your daughter ever was involved with was Jesus? If the only only time she was ever married was to Jesus, do you think that'd be a bad thing? And you could see sort of light go on. Would it be a bad thing if your children, the children that you say you love, if they were spared from all of the ugliness in this world, from all of the pain? You see, George, this is where a husband and wife really need to be in the Word together because God will knit your hearts together in this thing. The rapture... Jesus coming for his church is the very best thing that could happen. I've got a, another man in my church. I love him with all of my heart. And he is evangelist to the core. And he says, but, but we got to be busy. we got to save people. Yeah, but Jesus knows those who are his. And the rapture is going to come when that number is full. And being with Jesus is better by far. It's the goal of our salvation. It's it's not wanting to see Jesus uh, today, not not wanting the rapture of church. It would be kind of like wanting to play a football game without ever scoring a touchdown. You know, just sort of playing between the 20s. Yeah, but, but I want to pass and I want to run and I want to block and I want to tackle. Yeah, but the object of the game is to score. Well, for you and me, 
George, the goal of our salvation is being with Jesus. And so when that moment comes, when we're taken to be with Jesus in heaven, that's when we cry out with the old soccer announcer, goal! So that's what we do. We, we want to be with Jesus, and that's better by far than anything else that could happen. When we see Jesus, George, maybe you can read to her from Revelation chapter 1, begin about the 10th verse, and read through verse 18, the description of Jesus. And then just sit down together and sort of prayerfully meditate on what it will be like to see Jesus in all of his glory, the face shining like the sun in all of its glory. We've lived through a terrible time these last couple of years. A terrible time. Imagine all of that's gone. No pain, no sorrow. No, I should have or I could have. But instead, every day will be the fulfillment of everything God ever planned for us. One other thought, George. Usually when people say things like this, It's because their focus is too much on the things of this world instead of on heaven. So together, you and your wife, go through the word together and reprioritize your focus. I want to be with Jesus. Consider things above, not things here on this world. Holy Spirit will change your heart, Lord, or George, I promise. Hey, we're done for the day. May the Lord bless you and keep you. You've been listening to the Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.